most of my life has been in this industry. I have no shame in my game. And I can tell you that misinformation is unfortunate. It's what got us here. It's what keeps prohibition. And if you want to say hemp, but then call it all hemp. If you want to say cannabis, call it all cannabis. But this artificial separation has been foisted on us by the feds is a continuation of prohibition. It's a continuation of systemic bias. And those who would claim themselves to be cannabis professionals and still fall into that, yes, I say shame. It is on us to push this industry forward. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi. I'm a cannabis business owner, a brand marketer, and thought leader, helping you expand your thinking about the future of cannabis packaged goods going to market. Kicking things off, as you may have heard from last week's episode, the podcast has a new home on Substack. Yay! So far, Substack has been a phenomenal landing place because it's allowing me to expand on thoughts I have in written form, and it makes subscribing and staying up to date with all things Shada and To Be Blunt that much easier. At least I think so, but what do y'all think? Are you a fan of the move? And most importantly, have you subscribed yet? Don't worry though, it's free to subscribe and you'll be able to check out all the podcast episodes, past and future, as well as some of my writing at tobebluntpod.substack.com. By the way, the offer still stands to upgrade from a free subscriber to a paid subscriber should you want to monetarily support this show or the work I'm doing. It starts at $5 a month. I will be working on paid-only content, so subscribing as a paid subscriber will unlock that content for you, but more to come on that in the future, and sincerely just a big thank you to everyone who has already subscribed, free or paid. I really appreciate you tuning into the conversation I'm having, both over the years and presently. I'm excited for the future of To Be Blunt on the Substack platform. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to outline a few things. I think the cannabis industry is moving rapidly, but rapidly doesn't always mean forward. It could mean sideways and also backwards. We're in an interesting time period where hemp and the regulated marijuana industry are converging. And so it makes me wonder, is marijuana the right term to be using? Also, what do we think about synthesized cannabinoids? And how do you get consumers to start demanding clean products? And maybe more importantly, do they even care? It's a bit of a puzzle at the moment, and I always speak candidly because I know it's a jumping off point for further discussion. And today's conversation touches on some of those thought points and how we as an industry can grow. But a big takeaway for me is figuring out how we can get on the same page and speak the same language. But I'm honestly wondering, will we ever be on the same page and speak the same language? My two cents, we have to eventually get there. And at the moment, it is a combination of influence from politics and the federal government to talking in real time to consumers who are honestly confused just trying to navigate the marketplace. So I just wanted to pause and reflect on that because that is a major thread of today's conversation. Which brings me to today's guest. Guy Rocourt, the co-founder and CEO of Papa and Barkley, 
is a California-based wellness company that believes in the whole plant as medicine and safe access to cannabis. At Papa and Barkley, Ghee is responsible for optimizing production practices, ensuring the company complies with rigorous testing and lab standards, as well as developing the product roadmap as the brand continues to expand into different areas of the cannabis marketplace. He uses his keen understanding of the cannabis plant, cannabis culture, and business acumen to craft a variety of wellness products and is on a mission like Papa and Barkley to unlock the power of the plant to improve people's lives. He's also passionate about advocating for cannabis through public speaking and maintaining an authentic space within cannabis culture, even as Papa and Barkley continues to grow. Today, we discuss what it's been like navigating the California cannabis market, what has changed since Papa and Barkley first launched years ago, the fight to push for clean cannabis at every step, and how they've adopted their brand to meet the consumer and connect them with thoughtfully crafted wellness products. So without further ado, please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Guy to the show. My name is Guy Rocourt. I'm the CEO of Papa and Barkley. Papa and Barkley is a wellness suite of products in California. We specifically do wellness products in terms of topicals, tinctures, patches. We've recently expanded into gummies and chocolates, and we do a high-end concentrate called Papa Select. Our kitchen brand, PMD Kitchen, is our edibles brand, and Papa and Barkley is our wellness suite. We started in 2017 officially, but the company was founded in 2015 by my partner in Massachusetts. For me, it was a little bit of an aha moment because I had started going down the rabbit hole, which many young cannabis entrepreneurs did. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But meeting my partner was definitely an aha moment into clean cannabis and everything that Pop and Barkley embodies. As for myself, I'm originally from New York City. I grew up in New York City. I'm a first-generation immigrant. My parents immigrated from Haiti. I went to aviation high school in Queens, New York. And to get out of the city, I joined the military. I joined the U.S. Navy. I ended up getting a thing in the 80s called Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training, which was a way to diversify the military's officer corps. So that allowed me to go to school. And I ended up attending school in Rochester at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. During my time in school, of course, the Cold War ended and I assumed peace on earth. I did not know as much about global politics. Clinton was in office at that time. He had just come in and was offering to downsize. And so I was able to disenroll without much obligation. So I did that. And I was already in college and found out how to get student loans and Pell grants, all these things that we're trying to cut now that allowed folks like me to go to college. So I did. I ended up switching from physics because I thought I'd go back new power to film through the science side. I have a Bachelor of Science in film production. I luckily, as I've been blessed throughout my life to have perfect timing, returned back to New York City right when low budget filmmaking was taking o- over. And I got to apply both my military skill set and my filmmaking skill set to become an assistant director, which was pretty much the melding of those two skill sets. At one point, after working for a while in industry, working my way into the DGA, I met a gentleman named Montel Williams, former talk show host, huge cannabis advocate. In fact, when I first saw this from Kyle, I thought it might be his, because I think his podcast is called Let's Be Blood with Montel or something like that. And of course, having worked on the talk show or around the talk show for a while, that reminds me of Blunt Talk and all those shenanigans, although we were not that crazy. And to say Montel and I hit it off totally spectacular. He's, we, I start leaning into cannabis advocacy. At one point, he helps me get my job at Paramount here in California doing business development. And that's when I start seeing the things around 215. I start doing two lights in a little apartment that I have in Chinatown. I like to say two lights become four lights, become these no doc loans. And before you know it, I'm an outlaw creating safe access of cannabis products, not only for Montel, 
but sued some local dispensaries. And that's essentially how I start my career in like 1999, 2000. I continue doing that for another decade, thinking, oh, this is going to happen. It's all going to work out. But as you, as we know, it did not. Proposition 19 failed. I did not vote for it. Was it better than 64? I have no idea at this point. It's so crazy. But needless to say, I didn't vote for 19. And I understood that was because young growers like myself would just get pushed aside because I knew enough about business that you need capital to really scale things and really licensing all these other things. So I continue. And luckily, I saw the first e-cig, I think in 2010 or something like that. And I was like, of course, cannabis needs to be in that. I had a great partner who had Crohn's disease, was a Harvard electrical engineer who had to leave the workforce because of his Crohn's, but was great partner to grow with. We can work around his issues. And it was great to have a patient on the team and just a lot of knowledge that we learned over the almost 15 years that we grew together. But we did create this great vape pen. We started sharing these vape pens with folks. It's amazing. And then at one point, I get a call from some folks that are looking to put something together in the legal market in Colorado, and they want to start a vape pen brand. I'm like, let me go check it out. Sure enough, I create one of the first class one, div one lads in Colorado. We start making light hydrocarbon extracts. And of course, at this point, I'm in the race to the bottom like everybody else. All I want is the toys that we were denied to refine cannabis and scale and all those fun toys that I'm learning from my fintech brothers. And we're off to the races. Then I meet my partner, Adam, through a great friend of mine, Sparky Wilson Rose, another great giant in the industry that had one of the first dispensaries in San Francisco, paid the hard price. So shout out to Sparky. He hooks me up with Adam Grossman. Adam has taken these flowers, soaked them in coconut oil, strained off the biomass, essentially rubbed that on his dad's back. And sure enough, his dad got out of hospice. And that's who Papa is. Barkley was the comfort dog that would keep him warm. Right. So our origin story is truly fundamental. And of course, when I first meet Adam, I'm like, no, you just put extract in this. This is how we scale it. I think I'm all smart and everything like that. But the balm just did not work the same. When you do a, a true lipid infusion and you have that green, awesome balm and you put it on somebody, the literal effect efficacy is much quicker and obvious than just with putting THC in it. So I had this aha moment that, wait, Putting THC, this active pharmaceutical ingredient, is not just enough. That's not safe access. That's just, or that's access. It's not enough, right? And then I had this realization that what got us here, what got us through a prohibition, is what was grown in grandma's garden and made in grandma's kitchen. Natural, simple formulations. Yes, we were denied the tools, but we also did not need them. So it occurred to me that before, as universities are denying us, partnership and research. The feds are still saber rattling that this is a drug with no medical value. It occurred to me that what got us through prohibition, what we know are these simple formulations and those should be codified. They also seem to line up with what's in the zeitgeist in terms of clean cannabis, no chemicals, all these other things. So I'm like, let's go. So one of the major guardrails for Pop and Barkley is clean cannabis extraction. The only thing we have in our shop chemical wise is alcohol and that's just to sanitize things. We extract using water, lipid infusion, and pressure. That's it. And of course, if you're doing that kind of work, that means you're probably going to look at your other ingredients. So we aspire to the cleanest labels, which means none of our products have preservatives, stabilizers, emulsifiers, nothing unnatural. I really want the plant to shine through my finished goods as it did in the traditional market. And of course, as what's happening in the majority of the marketplace is this race to the bottom. When I think about the national CBD side, it's disaster. 
right? CBD should have been regulated like all cannabinoids as they are in Canada and other places. Instead, by allowing these loopholes, we have folks that are making these isomers, Delta 8, Delta 10, which we have no idea what they do. And in fact, we've already started to see damage. Also, what you see is isolate everywhere. And on our scientific advisory board, we have this great gentleman, Oren Duvinsky, who wrote the book on childhood epilepsy. And it's definitive that yes, you could take epidiolates at 300 milligrams, but you could also take a 30 to 1 30 milligram to one milligram THC tincture and get the same efficacy, especially if it's whole plant with those phytonutrients, chlorophyll, and, and the full mix of cannabinoids. So we we can see that scientifically now, but yet most of the industry is bent on just putting the active pharmaceutical ingredients. So seeing that early on, even right before the hemp bill started, we just doubled down on making our products in a truthful, transparent way. And it has taken the market a while to get to it. But now at MJ BizCon last year, for the first time, I see solventless. I see the awareness and the possibility of clean cannabis reaching the consumer. So that makes me happy. We do have a national CBD line. And I want to be clear that we do it exactly the same way. Most folks think that CBD somehow is different. And it's not. We smoke, we source inhalable grade flowers that just happen to have had the THC bred out. Nobody's actually using true industrial hemp, as you would say, for CBD extraction. There's not enough CBD in there. It would be a waste of that biomass, which should really go to making hemp cloth and all the other things that Jack told us. I'm a huge student of Jack Hera. The plant can do food, medicine, clothing. That's the potential. And I think the food and clothing potential is huge. And we haven't even scratched that yet. That being said, we source these flowers from places that are started even before California in terms of Vermont, Oregon, Colorado. So we source these great CBD flowers and we do mechanical separation, lipid infusion, rosin pressing. It powers all our CBD products so they look identical to what we do in California. In addition, in California, we're tested in final form, meaning it's not just the cannabis that's tested. It's everything that you put in the product. So our products are way beyond generally regarded as safe, right? Things in California, the cleanest things you can put in and on your body when you buy them in a dispensary, that's not just our products. That's just the nature of testing. And while I resented that bar at first, so glad that we've gotten there, right? And of course, we do the same thing on our CBD products. So over the last eight to nine years, that has formed my identity. And so when I say about Pop and Barkley, a lot of those values are also mine now and we're like this. And so that's a little bit about me, a little bit about Pop and Barkley. No, that's wonderful. You said so many things that resonated with me that I'm like, I gotta ask follow up on this. So I guess where I'll start is a little bit of your observation from historically being in the industry, especially in California. I think your state certainly has paved the way and also has paid the price the most significantly. You're talking about race to the bottom. You're also talking about the unregulation of the hemp side of the industry. So there's a couple points I want to throw back at you. One, within the last two weeks, like I mentioned, I'm in Texas, so we do play in the hemp space and I can attest it's very burly. But something really interesting that I observed was a lot of regulated brands in legal states like California. Obviously, it's hard, especially when you want to do multi-state operations, going and setting up your infrastructure. I'm seeing these big brands recognizable brands that if I said you'd be like, yes, I know them, and they're launching hemp-derived lines. So they're not just launching a CBD product. They're actually using hemp-derived Delta 9 now in the marketplace. So I want your thoughts on that. But also going to the race to the bottom, I love what you are painting and what you're able to do. I would love to get some insight from your perspective to do it the way that you're doing it 
that's a lot. And I think when you're a small brand starting out and you might want to do it with integrity, but it's cost effective to go maybe with a distillate or an isolate or some remediated version of the true plant. Like, how do you start to make those better decisions when you're strapped with this race to the bottom mentality? It's like the amount of things that I see, I come across all these trade shows. It's just, no, my product's the best and my product's the best. And they put it in a nice packaging. And then you actually look at the ingredients. And like you said, whether it's the extraction method, whether it's the quality of the cannabinoid sourcing, whether it's the other ingredients being used, this is disgusting. But then some of those brands end up becoming pretty big brands and consumers choose them because they don't know any better. And so I just find myself and also speaking on behalf of the listeners, if they're like, yeah, well, I want to do what you're saying to do. How do you do that when you're a small brand and you're trying to make those decisions to do everything as clean as possible, as minimum ingredients, as rooted in the plant, knowing that then to bring back to the earlier point, peers are just saying, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go out of the California market and I'm just going to go use these hemp-derived products. And now I just see this melding of the two sides of the industry. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? It really is a race to the bottom. And so I just, hopefully that makes sense. I love your thoughts on all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So first to the providers that are like getting in and wanting to say hemp-derived CBD, I say shame. You know, ever since 2016, I have zero tolerance for misinformation. It's dangerous. It feeds into systemic bias, right? So I'm a person of color, so I think I can talk a little bit about systemic bias, but I'm also a weed head, true pod head, true stoner. Most of my life has been in this industry. I have no shame in my game. And I can tell you that misinformation is unfortunate. It's what got us here. It's what keeps prohibition. And if you want to say hemp, but then call it all hemp. If you want to say cannabis, call it all cannabis. But this artificial separation that has been foisted on us by the feds is a continuation of prohibition. It's a continuation of systemic bias. And those who would claim themselves to be cannabis professionals and still fall into that, yes, I say shame. It is on us to push this industry forward. I'm thankful to my financial folks who've stepped in. We see, I won't name names, but some of these big MSOs where their entire executive suite is all from banking industries. They've all just jumped in here, even though we don't have safe banking. I say, shame. stay in your lane. As professionals, look at the science and speak truth. To answer the question about small brands and whatnot, if you are wanting to start a brand in any other space, let's say the beverage space or the fashion space, I think you would do research. I think you would understand what the professionals are doing and you would have some idea of the science. If I was starting a clothing brand right now, would I just go and source cotton from anywhere or would I make sure that I got closed loop cotton to make sure that the amount of chemicals used to bleach my cotton and prepare it are at the minimum as opposed to the way we used to do it in a non-closed loop system? Would I look to insert hemp claw into that 50-50 perhaps? Would I look for recycled plastics with whatever I do? Of course I would. So why wouldn't you do that before entering this industry? It's because you have a bias and a shame. No, look, we are, we were all programmed. We all grew up. Everybody alive grew up with, this is the devil's lettuce. This is a plant to be feared. But if you want to get into the space, do your research and speak truth. If you look at the science, you would never say that you're using hip because you're not. You're using a version of cannabis sativa L that has had the THC bred out. Why are you using it? Because the feds demanded it, not because it's the best product. CBD is an awesome cannabinoid. It's way better when it's paired with its sister cannabinoids. There are different ratios for everything. To those people who say, oh, you just want to get everybody high, I say again, shame. 
because we have a Western medical system that doles out pills to the point of an opiate crisis. This is not about getting high. All all analgesics, including NyQuil and over-the-counter stuff, can be abused. So let responsible adults make their decisions. Alcohol is the real killer. And we talk about, oh, we can't sell cannabis anywhere. But as my friend Swami, shout out to Swami, pointed out, it's not just the liquor stores. It's the supermarkets that kids are allowed into. It's the restaurants and hotels that kids are allowed into while people are just drunk and disorderly. It's just something is wrong. There's a disconnect. So again, if you're really wanting to be in this industry, look at the research, do your homework and speak truth. If you're starting a small brand, okay, maybe solventless isn't for you. It's true that solventless extraction rates are not the best. That makes your products inherently more expensive and you will be in a pricing plane. And an uneducated consumer and more importantly, uneducated retailers unwilling to do the work to have product segmentation and really educate their audience are just trying to churn the cheapest products. And it's easy to point to potency as the only factor because people, ooh, let's have safe access, but not all cannabinoids are created equal. And that's a little harder to explain at the dispensary level. So for me, it's like if you were starting a brand, okay, maybe you can't start solventless. Well, there's CO2 extraction that can at least be full spectrum where all the cannabinoids and terpenes are coming out. There's BHO, which I'm actually a bigger fan of than CO2, because what we don't know about CO2, what we do know about CO2 is when it comes out of the extractor head at scale, it's an orange fatty sludge that then needs to be put in alcohol and winterize. And because it's in alcohol, most states allow up to a thousand parts per million of residual alcohol in your extract. Well, that's not good. Meanwhile, with light hydrocarbon, it's zero or not detected. So you can get a clean extract using BHO. I'm a little biased, but all those extracts are at least taking all the parts of the plant. Now you take those extracts and you put them in a short patch distillation machine or a thin film white machine to get the isolate. Now I have an issue, right? Because that's not whole plant medicine and whole plant medicine is what got us here. I too aspire or look forward to the day where bigger, brighter minds than myself at universities will use that active pharmaceutical ingredient, find that miracle cannabis injectable that shrinks tumors and resets cancer. That's what we need to be looking for. But right now, over the counter in our wellness dispensaries, we should be putting as close to whole plant formulations as we can. So starting a small brand, your only option is not the full race to the bottom. It's like maybe you start with something that's, let's say, light hydrocarbon, and you aspire to have product segmentation of a clean brand that's just passion-fused gummies or something more holistic, right? That might be a little bit more expensive. So Again, I hate to shame people, but you know, I've been, we've been fighting this fight for so long. And yeah, I think it's time to say shame, you guys. It's like, well, you're all aspiring to be cannabis professionals. The information is out there. And I understand why the government does it, but I don't understand why folks who would be my colleagues would do it. So all I can say is shame. Do your homework and speak truth. I totally respect your position. Obviously, I don't want to be controversial on my side with asking my follow-up question, but I am really curious because I play in this space and I hear you. When the government is forcing us at odds against each other, the differentiation is just this less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC language. It's confusing for the industry. It's confusing for the consumers, this, that, and the other. You know that. So my follow-up though is being on the side of hemp, just from a state perspective, this is what I have access to participate in the industry. I have customers who come in all the time. And as much as I agree with the full plan is the best avenue, what is your belief and what do you tell to people who are getting drug tested, who have heard that isolate? It's not that isolate is 
an end-all be-all purity where you're not going to fail a drug test because we've certainly seen that still spark a drug test because drug test is variable just depending on who's doing the test and what they're testing for. But to me, full plant being the only way to view cannabis is isolating people out who would have perhaps rather been able to experience or explore it because of their situation, whether it's job or some other reason that they can't have THC in their system. And the second part to that is I know that you guys carry CBN formulations in your products. Just from what you've said, I already assume your CBN is being sourced directly from the plant. A couple episodes ago, I had some people from Oregon who were in the regulated side and now they're in the hemp side. And my observation is that the majority of CBN products in the marketplace, so not the psychoactive, right? But the CBN, which has a lot of merit, is manufactured in the same way that Delta 8's manufactured, Hemp Drive Delta 9. And the final point I'll add on that, I will say I'm not a chemist. I'm not a science. I'm a marketing girl. I majored in marketing. I do business. But again, because of what I do, I have to understand the science a little bit. And I can see, I'm following along with what you're saying. Epidiolex, as an example, you're maybe taking a higher percentage of it, but it's that what compared to the purity of just using the plant. But it is really remarkable what you can do from a chemistry perspective. And I don't think that is inherently bad. I think there's bad applications. And so just bringing it back around, my observation is a lot of the CBN, majority of CBN on the marketplace is manufactured CBN. A lot of big brands who would say no to chemically derived cannabinoids in other circumstances would be like, ew, no, not for me. But then they're, you know, do you even really know where your CBN is coming from as an example? So One, how do you handle or help someone who wants cannabis, but they're getting drug tested? Where do you guide them? What's that conversation? And then just the whole CBN chemically derived. I'm just curious to continue on that path. And I think you'll appreciate the CBN answer because, again, it's so obvious. And yet it's not, again, that research is very obvious. So let me first address the thing. So it's similar to the veterans who were, while that's changing, we're in the same boat. Folks, and like even ourselves, like I'm wearing my logistics shirt, we have drivers on the road. And now that we've gotten a motor vehicle carrier permit, our guys have to, and gals have to be drug tested that drive that truck over 10,000 pounds. And it's like, we waited until the last minute before getting into that category because I didn't want to have people on my team that might be subject to a drug test. There's not a lot I can say in terms of, yes, of course you can use CBD isolate products like and even like products like when I think of Charlotte's Web, they do a mm-hmm. lipid infusion. It's possible to do a lipid infusion and dilute it down to such a point where there's really minimal THC in it without necessarily being an isolate. And of course, isolates work. And yes, maybe you have to take a little bit more. If that is your only option, that is your only option. I do believe in safe access by any means necessary. When we first started our CBD line, it was right before the hemp bill and they, want, they wanted to call it Pop and Barkley Essentials. I was an irate. Like I was just like, I'm not playing into misinformation. I'd rather just not do it. But under the guise of safe access for those everywhere else besides California and at that time, Colorado, no, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, those original states, I, I was like, okay, well, let's figure it out. And that's where we got into our whole plant formulations. They said CBD on it. It didn't say our ratio 30 to one and all these things that we did to try to be somewhat compliant on the national side. So yeah, look, I think that what I wanted was our websites to be joined so that let's say you are that person and you're like, okay, I can only use CBD because I'm drug tested and so on. And luckily, our topicals, our patches, which provide great benefit, are not psychoactive and don't end up getting into the bloodstream and popping on a test. We try to get people with that bomb in the first conversation. So there is a THC or full spectrum product you can use, especially for pain management. But at least you're educated and you're now in an environment where you know what you're doing. And if it's really working for you, 
Perhaps you have to make a full lifestyle switch, including employment and joining our cause, pushing back against employers. Okay. Yes. Also that. I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it there because it's, I'm not recruiting for our cause. I'm just saying, yeah, it, if you're in a, if you're a postal worker or a construction worker or a truck driver where safety is louded out everywhere, even though most of those folks can be on methamphetamines, they can be on coke, they can yeah, be on exactly. all these other things. They don't test the same way, but I'll let it go. So right. there's not much I can say on that. Now on the CBM, which is far more interesting. First, let's ask the question from our history. What is CBN? Well, to me, CBN is old cannabis, yes. right? The meme of cannabis and stoners being couch-locked and whatnot is rooted in the fact that during Prohibition, we used to get brown-pressed Mexican weed. When I was a student in college and my little bit of cannabis thing in high school, we were getting brown-pressed cannabis that was so oxidized, filled with seeds, that we'd have to break up the seeds and shake them on a little... on a frisbee to get the seed separated. Well, that oxidized plant had lots of natural CBN, which is why when most people smoke through, not the 70s, because 60s and 70s, they actually had some quality cannabis. But when we talk about after the Vietnam era, mid 70s, through the 80s, and it's not until the 90s that we see sensi and light green. Everybody's smoking this press oxidized thing. And this stoner meme of couch lock of sleepiness all comes from the fact that we're all smoking CBN rich plants. So we know what where this CBN comes from. It's a natural decorative of mm -hmm. THC. So what we do to keep it solventless is we take our THC rosin, we spread it out so it's thin, and we basically recreate time. We expose it to UV light, which represents the sun. We raise the heat in our special apparatus and basically go beyond decarboxylation into that THC breaking down to CBN. So now you have, again, a chemical-free naturally occurring or naturally forced. So we are using chemistry. We are using science, but in the most natural way that we could, we could just leave the cannabis out for a year <laughs> and that would be that. But we add UV light, we add heat and we force that rosin from being 600 milligrams of THC to approximately 450 milligrams per gram of pure CBN. We then take that CBN and we put it soon to be vape capsules, chocolates, sleep gummies. I will say on the national side, we are coming out with CBN products because again, it's all about safe access and my arm was twisted. My marketing folks, Cassie Perlman, shout out to her, our CMO, has assured me that she will use our voice to highlight the fact that we are using an isolated CBN and how that does break our guardrails and calls attention to the fact that we want to do it solventlessly, but we cannot. So we will likely, not out yet, put out a national CBN sleep, but it, the sleep study we did, which we did, we've been doing our own in-home use test with a couple of hundred participants, not as statistically relevant as I would like thousands of people, but that costs money. Feds aren't doing it. Universities aren't doing it. So it falls to us to do it. And of course, our two, four, one ratio, two milligrams CBD, four milligrams THC, one milligram CBN. It's like the mirror, like it's crushing ambient. To give you a sense, there's 900 gummy skews in California. We launched this last April. And within a year, it's in the top 10. So it does work. It's taking on the heavy hitters that had that first mover advantage of the Kiva Camino gummy and the wild sleep gummy, which are all distillate based. So there's definitely something to our formulation for sure. To recreate it without the THC on the national side seemed a bit not right to me, but we do these things for safe access, right? So I'd say that I'm not proud of that product. It's just that I would want to give you the product that I formulated that actually really helps you sleep. 
And that includes that full spectrum of cannabinoids. But yeah, so it, it is a hard one on CBN. And to be clear, CBN is a degradant of THC. So again, I am only talking about misinformation. If you want to be honest and say, I'm using not hemp, but this cannabis that has had the THC bred out and that residual THC that comes out of the extractor head, I am then using a machine to convert that to CBN. Well, at least we're being honest. But to try to tell me that C that Delta 8, Delta 10, and CBN come from CBD, now you're just trying to pull the wool over my eyes. That is not accurate. That is not scientifically possible. That's not how it works, right? So what we have now in the industry, especially in places like Oregon where they have dual use, is people extracting cannabis, concentrating their THC, converting it into legal compounds, and then using the CBD portion as well, right? All unlicensed, all a burden to me, the provider, right? The actual licensed provider, the champion who's actually tried to push this out of prohibition. So I do take a little bit of offense there when folks are kicking out misinformation because there are folks still in jail mm -hmm. who die, who are dying because of that misinformation, who have lost their liberty because of this mis misinformation. And most of these folks that are operating on the unregulated side don't seem to even have a hat tip to those who allow, who made it possible for them to even say the three letters CBD. So I'll leave it there. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here. And I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five-star. Always super generous when we come here, also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, uh, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp-derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. I appreciate that. I think that is absolutely true in terms of there's just a lot of misinformation. People just don't really fully understand the cannabis plan, I guess. Just to clarify on my end, I was specifically speaking about the chemical process. So to say that, and this is not necessarily to you, just to say that Delta 8 is can be done in the same chemical process as CBN can be converted through a synthesis. That's more where I'm observing a shift in the industry. And so for people who are saying they're anti-Delta 8 explicitly, 
when CBN can be made that same way, obviously hemp derived adult time, which I'm now seeing, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of big name cannabis brands. It's just, huh. Okay. Well, we were talking about this two years ago. You didn't give any credit to it, but now it's happening. And so it's just very fascinating to me. I'm like, where does it go? So on that thread, you've been in the industry again in a very magnified way, just from the state that you're operating in. I would love just to get from your perspective a couple of things. One, like, what is it like operating in California? I always appreciate having these conversations because I think I just, one of my friends, she's in California cannabis. She came from MedMen and also from a couple of different places, cookies. She was recently doing at cookies. And so she was just making a LinkedIn post saying, it's so sad. The traffic to dispensaries seems considerably lower and it's because there's a 34% tax on products. And so obviously that squeezes the consumer, that squeezes the retailer, that squeezes the brand. And just having previous California brands on the podcast as well, I've gotten fodder here and there, but you're the latest. So I just want to hear from your perspective it's your state. So you want to operate there. They have been the most, I don't want to say like welcoming to cannabis, but in terms of like longevity, they've been the most welcoming to cannabis. But what is it like in California? Y'all set the stage, you set the tone. So what's the pulse on California? And then also trends, like what are you observing? What has the industry been evolving to? Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I'm just curious, like what are the products that you're seeing pop up? What are consumers getting into I just love your take on that. Sure. I mean, California can be summed up easily in the expression that it's not mine, but I've heard it. It's a branding night fight. That's what it is. We're in close quarters with bleeds and we're just cutting each other. And that makes me sad because we really should be unified. And instead of trying to take market share from each other, we should be figuring out how to grow our market share and communicate to new users. It's only now that Kern County, and we know who the representative is there, is even starting to think about cannabis. So it's not like all California has cannabis, right? Sure. Has access, has safe access. We still have some issues. Yeah, we've had a traditional market for a long time, and that's the problem. Regulators came in, and they did not respect us. And I feel like I made a mistake that, especially as a person of color, I should have just known better. Because you think about what's happening right now. When I was in high school back in the Reagan era, all these issues of diversity, women's rights, all of them were still on the table. We were right there. And I remember being just as angry and wondering, why are we protesting like they did in the 70s? And that's this is me as a true patriot as I joined the military. Like, these are the things we're talking about. And so to cut to some almost 30 plus years later, find myself a 50 year old man with the same issues in the nation is very disheartening. But it all comes back down to we seem to have this issue in our nation of confronting our mistakes and saying, oh, that was incorrect. We seeded so much misinformation and bias that we really have to, like a virus, push that much harder to gut it completely. Words are powerful. You'll never hear me say the word marijuana because just like another word, it was designed to be negative, to have a negative stigma. And so why would we say that going forward? But yet you have major companies using that term to describe themselves. That's cannabis shame. Cannabis shame is a real thing. And I think many providers come in and they don't realize that they're still like, ooh, drug culture. It's still drug culture. It's no, you have to just put that. It was a mistake. It was a just gross error. And all of it has to be taken out. Cannabis is not this drug that's going to kill people. In fact, as Jack told us, it will save us, especially now as things get hard. So it, it always boggles my mind when you see folks like even in the industry still conflicted about what they're doing. 
it's very difficult here in California because, of course, we have lots of legacy providers that provide great products. Like, I would not buy cannabis from a dispensary because the, just the time that it takes for products to be packaged and to get there is just too long and the buds are not that great. Secondly, like any other produce, which, like, most folks go in and, like, say, let's take romaine lettuce. You can buy a head of romaine lettuce. And sure, sometimes if you're in a hurry, you'll buy the stuff that's been cut, open, packaged, and cleaned for you in a little package. But those are not as good because by the time it got packaged like that, by the time it was cut off, it's already starting to spoil or degrade. Well, that's your flowers. It used to be you walked into a dispensary, you saw the whole pot. And this is before the pandemic, the whole pot, the whole vessel full of whatever, how much cannabis. You could smell the fragrance and people could pick out buds. That's fresh cannabis, right? To separate it months before it gets to the dispensary shelf into eights that are drying out. That's just truth. And yet regulations are forcing us to do this. So that's one thing. I think that the way we approach cannabis products, especially on the flower side in the dispensaries, something's off. But the good news is value-added products. We've been able to do a lot more with that. Like this whole lines of fresh frozen products and live products. Like we create a live lipping tincture that's all THCA, not psychoactive, super analgesic. We create our topicals, our tinctures, our gummies. All those products would have been much more difficult to create in the traditional market without access to a proper lab, good science, good testing. So I am thankful for all those things, right? Now, when we think about the marketing lens, consumers, super uneducated, right? Marketing people, we had, we've been blessed. Shout out to Kimberly Dixon. She came to us from Clorox fame. Great. Learned a lot about marketing. Shout out to Angela B, who came to us from Tylenol fame, went on to Canacraft to create Farmer in the Felon, is now at State House kicking ass. Also, Gem and Jane is her brand right? Learned a lot of, lot from her around marketing. And one of the things she would say, you're not the consumer. You got to meet the consumer where they are. And finally, it got to the point where I was like, oh, I had the aha moment. I said, Angela, you're right. We do need to meet the consumer where they are, of course. However, the only people qualified to do that are those of us who know where we're going. We are not there yet. We just got safe access, but we are not where we're going. And so we contracted this marketing group called SRG, forget what that stands for. And they did this thing with a thousand people and they interviewed them. And so we got to see some of these interviews. And even in the interview, you could see the customer journey. Their shame is real. Most of them start with, oh, no, I've never used cannabis. 20 minutes in, as the interviewer is asking questions, and everybody's getting warmed up. Almost 100% of folks are like, oh, well, back in the 80s, I did this. And man, I had a little experience. So we see their shame leaving. And the more and more we talk about the products and the more they get educated, the more they're moving down the funnel, as it were, from, oh, I would just try topical to, no, I would probably try this. That's the real consumer journey. Now, in macro mass, it's moving slow. It's taken years for folks to start to ask the same questions they ask at the grocery store that they're asking in dispensaries. Before they go in and it was just about safe access. Ooh, that's 30% THC for $20? Let me scoop that up, right? Now, I think just like when you go in, you're like, oh, look at that loaf of white bread for $1.99, but it's filled with all kinds of bread. Let me move on to something that's not even bread. That's how far we've gone in our wellness journey at the grocery store. And I think a lot of those rules will start to apply in, in the dispensary. But that takes time. And it takes providers like ourselves pushing that information to consumers because for whatever reasons, dispensaries don't seem incentivized to do it. And there's a whole bunch of other folks willing to sell Bud Light, as it were, to take advantage of the consumer just wanting cheap products. So California has been difficult for those reasons, a consumer base 
that you have part that was educated. We do have the true believers. That's why I think I'm still in business. People who know are looking for. And then you have a bunch of people. And probably Barkley, especially with our bomb, did drive a lot of seniors. We do a lot of senior bus tours. I'm committed to growing our industry. I don't like taking market share from my colleagues. So we do things to normalize cannabis here in California that I don't see in other states. We sponsor bike races. We just did a, I just did 63 miles. Some of my guys did a, and gals did a hundred. We are involved in golfing events. Hopefully we're going to have our Venice basketball street team to show that, Hey, in the new age, when there isn't CBN and not flower, we're not couch locked unless we want to. And we're actually quite active, quite healthy people. We're releasing an active line with an updated version of our hero product in a stick form with menthol, along with a tincture and a gummy for recovery. For those who like, like I just had a great workout in the gym and I look, CBD is a great pre and post workout because one of the main things that CBD does, it helps slow down that precursor of inflammation, right? To, sl- to have systemic inflammation in the body reduced is overall wealth, health, and therefore you just feel better, right? But yeah, California is very difficult. It really is. And I'm saddened by a lot of the things that are happening. When it comes to the 30% excise tax, again, that is cannabis shame. Any economic textbook, high school, graduate level textbook, in the first few chapters, you're going to see that growing a business, especially in partnership with the government, usually requires government incentive to grow the market. And then everybody wins, both the provider of that and of course the tax man, because now they're taxing over a larger base. If I was in the software company or if I was Amazon and I was coming to your town to say, I'm creating even a hundred jobs, usually you're going to give me a tax benefit. Well, I employed at one point at our height before it crashed over 200 people. We're now a solid hundred strong in a small town of just 28,000. I'm one of the largest employers and I get zero. In fact, I get shame. I get police. I get, oh, I better not let my alarm off because even though I pay insurance and everything, if the police come to my facility, it's always my fault, right? Honestly, it's, yeah. Where else do you hear that kind of bias, right? It's like systemic bias, systemic shame are real forces in our world. And it's time that we address them, not only on in, in what we have in ourselves, but just in, in the zeitgeist. So what's really bad about California cannabis is that it's two steps forward, maybe three steps back, right? There's sometimes more shame and more resistance. So when I think about like our marketing events, our festivals, we used to be able to go to San Bernardino Valley, to Santa Rosa, have huge events. I remember the cops not even showing up. My favorite experience is like 2013, seeing Rick Ross with a huge like cannon. He had just launched a champagne thing, but it was like a joint champagne thing. The whole pavilion is just filled with smoke. And when the concert was over, we just floated out. Not a cop in the world. Now, meanwhile, you cut to a concert at the Forum. There's always people fighting. Any sports event with alcohol, you, you, the police actually have a job to do. And yet law enforcement, nobody else seems to want to highlight that right in fact what we've seen is a reduction it's so hard to permit it's now that we're actually compliant they're cutting back on what we can do with these festivals we can't sell you can't smoke all these things that we used to do and it's what's happening right now i think you asked about trends i think the biggest trend is that notion of consumption lounges infused dinners we have a lounge that we have here and it is awesome to provide a place where folks can come have some cannabis and we are starting to see a glimpse of the future I'm not a prohibitionist. I would never say that folks shouldn't drink, but we do know that alcohol can be problematic. And what we found is I have a 26-year-old on a natural journey on a Saturday. Let's say you might meet friends at a consumption lounge, have a smoke or an edible, 
And then you proceed on to the bar for some food and drinks. And what we find is folks end up drinking a lot less because when you've already consumed cannabis and then you have a drink, the efficacy just hits you like that. And your drink, one drink becomes the feeling of several drinks. But of course, the impact of the body is that you had one drink. So you're able to be as socially lubricated as needed. Let's put it that way and wake up fresh the next morning. That makes for a productive, stress-free society. So I do see some trends like that happening in the cannabis community. And I hope that's what we can take out to the rest of the world from here in California. And hopefully leave some of our shame and mistakes behind because I don't see that in other states as sharply as I do here because we do have a traditional market that is still providing access, right? Because they don't believe that the dispensaries are doing it right. Yeah, obviously everything you highlighted, it's just the good, the bad, and the ugly and the reality of it all. And I resonate so much with just the sentiment of sometimes we were moving two steps forward, which is yay. And then you move three steps back and you're like, whoa, I didn't think we should go back that far. And you're like, what the fuck? How did we get here? I think it's super interesting to hear, obviously, just your experience with California being there for that longevity of watching things go from not super legal and friendly to very accepted to now it just feels like y'all are being squeezed so tight that it is hard. It makes it complicated for the businesses to operate. And then that further reinforces like kicking back into the legacy market. And so it's just this very, I don't know how we're going to move forward from this and survive. I also appreciate you highlighting some of the marketing influences. I think you certainly also, I want to bring this up just because I did write about this. I wrote about using the term marijuana recently. And I'm it's obviously difficult because I respect and understand the history of that word and how it has been used derogatorily. That's the right word. If that's even a word to use, But when you're talking about consumers, I am curious maybe to dive a little bit more from the marketing side. And I've tested this. A couple things. Yes, I get it. When the government uses the term medical marijuana, that's perpetuating us using this word. But then that flows down into the consumer. And so in a state like Texas, where cannabis is still super stigmatized, I'm blessed being in Austin because to me, even though it's illicit and illegal, I've always had access to So it's I feel bad for people in smaller towns in Texas because it is still super demonized, but the stigma is there. And so we've tested it. We've tested talking about hemp versus cannabis. Well, hemp is cannabis and then high THC versus low THC. And then customers coming in and they're like, well, well, what is the high? What does that mean? And weed, pot, and then the word marijuana gets brought up sometimes by us communicating to them to give clarification sometimes from them because that's to your story as well. They're like, I don't know. I have never tried this. I don't want to talk about it. Like, okay, well, sometimes I have made some pot brownies before. It's like, I just, I I don't think it's right, but I also don't think it's wrong because when you're marketing to people, I can get you to change your vernacular, but I have to win you over first. I have to get you on my team to understand and to erode that stigma. And so it's just, it's a hard one that I just kind of verbally say, because again, like I just recently wrote about this. Again, I see there's major publications. I'll call them out. MJ Biz, Marijuana Moment, these major publications that are using this term. And then the industry is obviously split of how to use it. But then that's still perpetuating because those are the terms that consumers are then coming in saying, well, I just want that. And so it's a little bit more complex. And I think we feel it more because we're in a state that doesn't have a regulated market. And so it's just a little bit more like, it's a problem that I struggle with marketing to consumers. So in that vein, obviously too, I appreciate you highlighting all the different things that y'all are doing because I think that is how you carve out new market share. And it's not like I want to take other people's customers. I want to get new people who were maybe reluctant to cannabis to see the power and potential of it. So 
maybe let's talk through some of those marketing initiatives, these events you're popping up at, these bike rides, like you're having conversations with consumers. What is that to actually be marketing where there is, did you say over 900 different edible brands? Like how do you communicate the value? Obviously, I understand being in the industry, being a longtime consumer, what you're painting a picture is, yes, I eat clean. I absolutely do not eat bread if I can't read the ingredient labels unless you know we're making it at home. Like I shop that way with my produce. It's remarkable the amount of consumers who walk into my door and they say, I got these gummies illicitly and it's 50 milligrams. It came from California. I'm like, well, California doesn't legally sell 50 milligrams. So that's an illicit. You don't know what the quality of that gummy is, where that THC came from. But you know, to condense the point down, they just want to get high. And so we try to do so much education trying to convince the consumer it's okay you want to get high, but here's a clean way to get high or here's how to understand it. And sometimes you just keep having to have those conversations. So I would just love your perspective on how you have those conversations with consumers who on both ends of the spectrum, they want to get high or the ones who don't necessarily know the benefits and that's their only view to just continue to obviously like erode the stigma, but just want to know how y'all handle those conversations. Yeah, yeah. First, let me say, I love that you were holding a lighter. I do that a lot. And it's usually because like I quit smoking cigarettes a long time ago, like almost 25 years ago, but I am still a smoker. And so of course I usually smoke flour and I love having, yeah. So it's just my little handy thing. I was going to light a candle (laughs) before we started and then I just kept holding it. So yeah, thanks for calling me out. You will find myself, you'd find, I'm surprised that you'd find me doing that as well. So I think for us, it is about education, right? And we know that folks can understand the concepts of clean, right? So Angela, she launched Clean Halo was one of our initiatives, right? So that we could just talk about clean. And at that time, I realized that while the leaf is the universal symbol of cannabis, well, at the time, my now 14-year-old was a little younger. It was all into the whole Sephora thing. She's like, look, dad, look what they have at Sephora. And I'm like, that's hemp seed oil, and that's great for the skin, but it's not what we do, okay? So then it occurred to me that the true symbol of our industry really should be the trichrome. Now, unfortunately, that might look like a little sperm and that's hard to, it's not as cool as simple. But that's what I educate on. The minute, the first thing I need to explain to folks is where do you think the medicine comes from? Well, it's in the leaf. No, it's actually on these little hairs that surround the plant called trichomes. Trichomes are not unique. They happen in all, in many plants and especially plants that have essential oils, let's say lavender. And so what we do is we look to get those trichomes. Then Rest in peace, Frenchie. I like to bring up Frenchie because he taught us, most of us in California, kept that flame alive of shaking the tree and getting the ripest fruit. When you give flowers and you just hit them and those crystals come out, that first, those first little trikes, that is the ripest fruit. Okay. How can I present that to you? We call that six star hash. It's the most expensive concentrate you could buy. There's another term. We call them concentrates. We at Pop and Barkley are stopping them. We are calling them now essential oils. Why? Because that's a term that people understand. So when my mom is using her Puffco Peak, she thinks that she's using cannabis essential oils for aromatherapy. And she's accurate in that description. We might call it concentrates and dabbing. I We moved from dabbing to low temperature vaporization. And now I want to move fully to aromatherapy. I love our culture, but there's some give and take right? We do need to meet the consumers where they are. And so if the words are truthful and valid, I don't really have a problem saying essential oils over concentrates because I know my essential oil is the same way I would make lavender essential oil. 
not exactly how it would make you eucalyptus or rosemary because those don't have trichomes, right? But when it comes to harvesting trichomes for essential oils, pretty standard practice, right? With lavender, we can see chemical extraction. We can see pressing extraction, just like we do here. When you think about olive oil, right? There are refined olive oils. There's also expeller pressed olive oil, which you pay more for. So at the end of the day, you're talking about an olive or you're talking about a trichome. How I squeeze that or how I get the oil is the same and the value is the same. One quart of extra virgin olive oil might be $17 where a gallon of the other stuff that's not been used, the light hydrocarbon or whatnot, might be $17 for that gallon, right? So four times the price. Well, same thing on our side. You can get light hydrocarbon or distillate trichomes or THC put in your product for $10. And then for that same product, it could be $50 if actual just pure trichomes were pressed. So that is what we're trying to educate on. And it's difficult. Papa and Barkley, I think the reason why we may not go the way of like AOL or something like that, and we may be one of the brands that started early, but gets to make it past this crash in the marketplace is because the consumers are finally starting to meet us. More importantly, one of the things that we've seen recently is we're hearing from the consumer base that hashed rosin gummies specifically hit harder than dislit gummies. Dislit gummies tend to have a great head high, but in terms of that full body experience, you need that hash. Why that's important is it's like the alcohol model. You drink two buck chuck, perhaps the next morning you have a little headache or even right there with the sulfites and stuff, you might be getting a headache as you're drinking it. You drink a good quality spirit of wine, the next day it's probably a little easier. I mean, obviously there's there's an amount and everything. No, that's uh, a great analogy in comparison. But that's what it comes down to. There is a quality level. But why isn't it intuitive to the consumer that there might be? Cannabis shame. They come into it not realizing they've been so programmed that there's no value that they take a step into, okay, let me try it. But they there's just still a wall there. And this notion that there would be any value past the active ingredient that's prohibited, as it right. were, seems it's just it's like a disconnect. Right. And we have to push them into it and say, not only is there value in the cannabinoid that's been prohibited, it's there's value in the whole plant that it was made from. And you want that whole plant. This is a natural medicine. And so what we've been marketing is, for instance, a couple of initiatives. I talked about the concentrates and I'll expand on that. But a couple of initiatives this fall is I want to bring harvest back to dispensaries. A person should walk into a dispensary and still feel like it's wellness and also still understand the plant medicine. So during the fall, where this annual usually flowers, we should be seeing more sun-grown, right? We know that sun-grown is sustainable, right? I raised a family as an indoor grower. I'm not trying to cast shame there, but I had to do it that way. Now that we don't have to do it that way, we should be finding more sustainable methods with a lower carbon footprint to create quality cannabis products. And we should see that in the dispensary. Dispensaries, by definition, should be wellness. They're dispensaries right? They're not liquor stores. I don't put the same liquor stores. Yeah, liquor was never supposed to be good for you. Nobody ever said that. Cannabis is a wellness product. And so when I go into a dispensary, I should expect that the majority of products have no high fructose corn syrup, have no artificial dyes, have limited preservatives and so on. And in fact, right now, that's not the case. We stand apart as a brand and that's weird. Luckily, just like the food model, retailers are realizing, oh, wait, after we've gotten all the toys, retailers and manufacturers, I should say, but after all the toys, after everything, everybody's looking for the next innovation. Well, just like food, the next innovation is organic. The next innovation is that level of quality food 
to separate. So we're starting to see that in dispensaries. Shout out to MedMen. They do have, we do have a full, they have all our products. We are trying to get the solventless corner. I don't need to be in this by myself. Jetty, shout out to the folks at Jetty. Shout out to anybody that wants to do clean cannabis and solventless cannabis so we can build that high-end shelf, that differentiator. I'm not saying just like Bud Light is the most popular beer, that doesn't mean that when you're having a kid or when you're getting married that you're going to stop Bud Light. You may want to go for that craft beer. Well, in our industry, it's the same. I'm not saying there won't be a place for distillate, but there needs to be a place and a clear path for consumers to understand, oh, this is a higher quality product. This is the better version of the product for these scientific and obvious reasons that we can articulate if the ears are open and ready to listen. So this fall, I hope to really bring the plant back into the dispensaries. Luckily, we have a lot of science, although not university sponsored, because even here in Humboldt, I can't, that's not true. Humboldt University is trying. They did just become a polytechnic, but funding is a real thing. And these feds would be quick to cancel somebody if they got over their skis. So they're being patient, but hopefully we will start to see some university research. But outside that university research, it's very difficult to get good information. But luckily, one, we do have testing now that shows sun-grown genetics alongside of indoor genetics grown at the same, in the same genetics grown with similar nutrients and whatnot. Outdoor plants have a more robust profile. What does that mean? Everybody talks about terpenes. Well, think about terpenes and the profile is the front of the mountain range. Well, the mountain range, when you're looking at it, you see the front, but usually there's ridges behind it. Those are your ketones, your esters, your enzymes. And what we see at not a GC level, but not a gas chromatograph, but more like uh, HPLC or something like that, we see more robust ketones and esters in sun-grown plants than we do in indoor plants. Those same folks are hopefully going to conduct a study this fall that will show that the annual version of cannabis is even more robust due to the quality of light that we get in the fall. Okay, so now we're starting to get real science that shows that, okay, growing sun-grown and whole plant formulations are stepping up in their efficacy. We can back that with science because I don't look. If it came out that was not the case or that distillate or isolate were just as well. I'm a scientist first. I want shrimp more than anything. I would just be like, oh, okay, that's how the numbers are stacking up. But as it turns out, that does not seem how it's stacking up. Our anecdotal and intuitive evidence seems to be validated by now actual scientific objective testing. And that lightens my heart because I feel that this track that Pop and Barkley's been on, first yelling into a, an empty space, is finally starting to hit the eardrums of consumers, which is where we need that education to push up. That will force retailers to do the right thing. And then retailers will force manufacturers to do the right thing. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. And I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at the Tarabi. 
Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi. 